Winston Churchill used to tell a story of a sailor who one day was walking down the street and alongside of um, a harbor and he saw a little boy fall in the water and began to go under. So the sailor just instinctively dived in, grabbed the boy, got him out of the water, resuscitated him, got him squared away and sent him off on his own. Um, as the young boy uh, and his mother were walking down the street, he, he said to his mother, he said, look over there, there's a sailor who saved me. And so the mom and the boy walked up to the sailor and the mom said, is it true? Are you the one who jumped in the water and saved my son? And he said, well, yes, ma'am, it's true. And expecting thanks, he just kind of stood humbly. However, that's not what, she, what he got. Instead, she looked at him, shook her finger in his face and said, well, where's his cap? Now, you hear something like that and you would think, who would say something like that? Oh, what happens to a person that they, they get like that? Oh, well, consider the story of, of the man who one day felt betrayed by his best friend and so was greatly hurt and went to him and said to him, you know, after everything I've done for you, after literally picking you up out of the gutter and giving you a place to stay and helping you find a job and getting you on your feet, how could you do something like this? How could you just forget everything I've done? And the man said, yeah, I know you did it, but what have you done for me lately? You see, that's the piece. What have you done for me lately? Because the truth is, what it represents is our short-term memory loss that takes place. Not only our short-term, but our long-term memory loss. The fact that... Um, What matters in the moments, that's what defines us. All that we consider important in the moments determine what we'll do in the moments. Determine what we'll value, what we'll remember, and what we won't. Um, this weekend we celebrate Memorial Day. Now how many of us will really celebrate Memorial Day? How many people will become distracted and by the fact that they had to work over Memorial Day weekend and they didn't get to have it off like everyone else? Or how many spouses will get upset by the fact that on this Memorial Day weekend they had to go spend it at a cookout with their in-laws who look nothing more than like outlaws? Um, how many will get distracted by just the fun of the weekend? But not 
remember the purpose of it. Not remember what's supposed to define the moments. Remember last week we talked about one of the most innocuous but important questions of life. What time is it? Do you know what time it is? About bringing your activities under God's authority that he might release and produce beauty and glory. See, we forget these things. We forget about the moments. We forget about being grateful. This morning, as we continue our series on monitoring your approach, a series that we began to look at how we approach things because oftentimes we don't pay attention to our approaches and we end up with lives that are just crashed landings or aborted attempts because we just miss it. We mess up on the approach. This morning, we're going to look at what it means to be grateful. What is it that causes us not to be grateful? Because there's an attitude that I think we miss that affects our gratitude, that affects our ability to be grateful for what we have, even to the point that we lose the big picture and focus on the silly things like a cap that cause us to betray the people who help us and love us the most because all we can remember is what they've done for us lately. Um, We're going to look at a passage of scripture. Um, I want to call it a letter, but it's not a letter. It's really a postcard. Um, It's the shortest letter the Apostle Paul wrote. Um, It's called uh, the letter to Philemon. I say the shortest because it has about 335 words to it. Uh, 25 verses to it. It is one of the shortest writings that Paul wrote. Um, He wrote it right around 60 to 61 AD. And he wrote it to a gentleman by the name of Philemon. A gentleman who, uh, he had a personal relationship. A a, a person that he considered to be a brother in Christ. A kindred in the ministry. A person that he had uh, the privilege of leading to Christ. Raising him up in Christ. In this letter, Paul writes to him, and he writes to him on behalf of someone else. He writes to him on behalf of a man named Onesimus, a man who was a slave, but not just a slave, he was a runaway slave, and not just a runaway slave, he was a thief. Before he ran, he took everything that he could and left. Now, in the Roman government, that was uh, two major strikes, two major felonies, if you want to call it that, that usually demanded death. And at minimum, the slave would be tortured and would have an F for fugitive um, imprinted on his head because slaves weren't worth much during that time. Paul writes to Philemon on behalf of this slave, asking 
for his forgiveness. Somewhere in Paul's journeys in Rome, we suspect that as Philemon was running, he bumped into Paul. And in their encounter, Paul shared with him the gospel of Christ and led him to Christ. And not only did he receive Christ, I mean, this was no jailhouse conversion. He not only received him, but he gave himself to the service of the gospel and he gave himself to Paul's service. In one sense, he freely made himself a slave again to serve the purpose, the gospel of Christ. And so Paul writes to Philemon and basically says, I want you to forgive him for everything he's done. I don't want you to treat him as a slave anymore. I want you to treat him as a brother in Christ. I want you to think about that for a minute. Imagine if somebody had done that to you. Somebody who who was a servant that you had taken good care of and all of a sudden he just, he runs out on you in the last minute and he steals everything as he goes. Now let me say something about slavery just for a little second here. Paul in no way is condoning slavery. Slavery was the reality of the Roman culture. Paul didn't have much to say that would be of any use in the sense of rebellion because the Jews were in no position to rebel. Paul doesn't condone it, and in fact what Paul does is he says to Christians who had slaves for one purpose or another, if you're gonna have slaves, you have to treat them right. Now why did people become a slave in that day? They became a slave because they had done something that was either criminal or they were an enemy against the Roman government or they sold themselves into slavery. Oftentimes, people who were very, very poor, who couldn't take care of themselves, would barter a deal with somebody who was wealthy. If you take me into your home, if you care for me, then I will give myself over. I will sign myself over to you for your protection and for your provision. We don't know what the deal was with Onesimus. We don't know if he was a criminal or if he was just somebody who gave himself. But Paul writes to Philemon and basically says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to cancel all debts against him. I remember meeting, uh, knowing a man years and years ago in the church who had been ripped off and a number of his friends had been ripped off by somebody within their organization. And I remember him saying to me vehemently, I will never, ever forgive him. And I said to him, well, the gospel's pretty clear. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. He said, I don't care. I will never forgive that man. It's easy for us to get stuck there. I know what it's like to be ripped off. I know what it's like to have somebody come and make promises and, and walk off with a good deal of my money. My wife and I know what it's like to go through the experience of having someone 
attack her and stab her in a parking garage and plan to kill her. And yet, we also know the call to forgive those who repent. That's the synopsis. Let's look at the passage. We can put that up there. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, you know, God bless Paul. He knows how to write. He's writing to a person who keeps slaves, so he describes himself as a slave. A prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, our partner. Also to Alphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at what he says. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I always thank my God when I remember you. Why? Because when he remembers, he remembers what he's done for him. He remembers the blessings that have been brought into his life. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people." Do you take encouragement for granted? You know, the writer of Hebrews says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That we might encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. Do you know that when you show up here, you're an encouragement? Do you know that people who love you and care about you long to see you? And when they don't, there's a part of them that's discouraged. We were in a deacon's meeting this last week and, and one gentleman said in the, in the meeting, I, I can't understand how people can just leave a church and go away for no reason. How, the, how they don't understand the connection of family how they don't realize their importance to the people around them. Paul cares because he cares that Philemon cares. Now look what he says. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do. Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to that. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. We've been going through John's letters. And John makes it so perfectly clear, especially in his first letter. The gospel's about love. It's about the light that comes from love. It's about the life that comes from love. This is how we know love. Christ died for us. Christ laid down his life for us. 
That's what love does. That's what love requires. And so he says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you. Why could he order him? Because Philemon wouldn't have known Christ without Paul. Without Paul's time and effort and energy, he would not have known him. We're going to get back to that. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, what does the name Onesimus mean in the Greek? It means useful. So Paul uses a little pun for this. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I want you to hear that. The, the word is, when we get the Greek word, it's cardiac. So we talk about medical terms. When we hear that somebody's in cardiac arrest, we know that's a big deal. We know that if people have cardiac problems, that their life is hanging in the balance. That's how grateful Paul is to Onesimus. That's how much he means to him. Wouldn't it be great if we appreciated each other the same way? That who you are and what you bring is measured not by my critiques and my criticism, my negativity, but my gratefulness of who you are in my world and within God's church. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want you to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Can you force gratitude on somebody? No, it's, it's gotta be voluntary. But does that mean that when you don't give it, you don't owe? No. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back forever. I love that. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you, and I want you to hear this, or owes you anything, Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Now here's the part. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now I don't know why, but I always, I always have that, that picture, that scene of the Godfather, you know, where he says, you know, someday I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Well, Paul's not doing it like that because when you say no to the Godfather, you're dead. 
But Paul is saying almost the same thing. You owe me. You owe me. So if he owes you anything, charge it to me. And when you come to collect, remember, you already owe me. You owe me 10 lifetimes. You see, when Philemon came to Christ, he was dead. And yet when he received Christ, he was made alive. His life life blossomed and became something sweet and sacrificial, something beneficial to the kingdom. What would pay off a debt like that? Paul says, I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do not wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Let me tell you something, and, and I have tried to do this in my life. I've had people over the years, and one of the things I've been so grateful for, God has given me a multiple experiences, whether it was through police work or ministry or counseling, that I've been able to help people and I've gone out of my way for people. And I've, I've never gone to anyone and said, you know, when you were hurting, I was there for you. But I have gone to people to help other people and say, hey, look, would you help me out? Knowing that they know they owe me. But never for my own benefit. We never look to someone to owe us for our benefit. That's not what Paul's talking about. Now, I, I love this. This is, this is classic. This is about the one second I could fill the Apostle Paul's shoes. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room <laughs> for me because I hope to restore to you an answer to your prayers. Eh, great. Yeah, 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 take care of him and, oh, by the way, uh, go get me a nice suite somewhere so that when I come, uh, I can have a place to rest. And all the brothers say hello and are grateful to hear that you're doing well. Here's the takeaway I want you to have for this. You can't grow if you don't know who you owe. You can't grow if you don't know who you owe. You can not become if you don't acknowledge and are thankful for the people who helped get you there. When I was a, a young man in college, and I probably from age 17 lived on my own, and I remember when I was in college, I was working full-time, going to school full-time, and was working on my black belt, uh, 
was, an engage, was engaged. That didn't work out too well. We won't talk about that. Um, and um, I barely made enough money to pay my bills. And oftentimes would look at the week and start to think, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I had a friend of mine whose mother was just wonderful. I would come home to my apartment uh, at the end of the night and there would be these packages at my door. These care packages. And they would have food and a little bit of money slipped in. And she would do that to me, for me so often. I've never forgotten that. Every time I, I see Bev Moore, I smile. And I throw my arms around her. And I tell her I love her. Till the day I die, I will know I owe. And I'm so grateful. It is good to know that you owe. We live in a culture today that is so narcissistic. We live in a culture today where people don't even know that they owe. We live in a culture today you can pour life into them, you can care for them, and they receive it like they deserve it, and they go off and think nothing of it. Here's the problem. Without knowing that you owe, you'll never grow. You'll never move closer to God. Because if I can't see what God has done in others to help me, I, I won't see what God has done for me. It's like the beggar who one time was given a piece of bread and so he went and he thanked the baker for it and he said, don't thank me. I just cooked it. It's, it's the miller who milled it. So he went to the miller and he said, well, thank you for the bread and thank you for milling it. He said, don't thank me. I'm, I'm not the farmer who planted the seed. So he went to the farmer and he said, thank you for the bread that I have that came from the wheat that you farmed. And the farmer said, don't thank me. It was God who allowed it to grow. You see, when I create that cognitive dissonance where I don't realize I owe anyone, then I don't say I owe God. It's only when I'm grateful do I know what I have. Because gratitude helps me to know how well off I am. How much I have that I don't deserve. How much was given to me by others and how I was blessed and didn't know it. It helps me to know what I have. It helps me to see what I don't see. Because with, without gratitude, I can't see where I'm supposed to go. 
I can't see what God is doing for me. I can't see the people who love me. Without gratitude, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Because all I'll see my doing is helping myself. Without gratitude, I I can't love as I'm supposed to love. But with gratitude, I can see God in every breath, in every moment. I can walk around the world and be so grateful knowing that he created it for me and for you. If you don't know who you owe, you can't grow. In fact, you'll go sideways. You will look at people with suspicion as competitors. You will look at what you have as less than. You'll look at God as withholding. It's good to remember and to know you owe and it's the best place to be. See, to be grateful, to have an attitude of gratitude, you've got to have an attitude that says, I owe. We sit here today because men and women died for us that we might have the freedoms we have, that, that we might be as spoiled rotten as we are. You know, Peter and I talking, we talk about the monument men who went out and saved all this artwork that we see in museums and yet don't think about the people who gave their lives for that stuff. George Washington saw gratitude as fundamental for the prosperity of a country. We either live in gratitude or we live in complaint. And you know as well as I do, we spend most of our time in complaint. We spend most of our time being critical of this or that, seeing what we don't have that we think we deserve and not looking at, my God, I owe so much and have been so blessed. How do you go about living that way? How do you go about remembering that you owe? Let me offer just a few suggestions. When it comes to what you know, spend time and get a journal and journal them. Journal those things that others have done for you. UMass Dartmouth did a study a few years ago on gratitude and talked about how people who live lives that are grateful, people who actually journaled this stuff, were more apt to exercise regularly to take care of their health, were people who were 
more encouraged and hopeful for the future? You see, even, even on, a, on a general revelation basis, remembering what others have done for you, have done for you is crucial, crucial to your physical, mental, as well as spiritual health. Number two, verbalize them. When you, get, when you journal each day of what people have done or you think back, and I would encourage you if you haven't done this, take the time, write a note, pick up the phone. In fact, pick up the phone, don't text. And say to someone, you know, I was just thinking the other day of how blessed my life is. And when I was thinking about that, your face appeared. And in the moments you are part of defining the moments of my life. Take the time to verbalize. It's a blessing to you. It's a blessing to others. It will build bridges that will last throughout your life. Thirdly, share them. Talk about them. Discuss them with others. Keep them on your mind and help put them on the minds of others. Last, mimic them. Go out and do for others as others have done for you. Fifty years after Paul wrote this letter, one of the bishops of the church who became one of its most famous martyrs by the name of Ignatius was being transported from Antioch to Rome to be executed. He wrote to the churches at that time. In writing to the church of Ephesus, he praised their bishop, Onesimus. Even going on and making the same Pauline pun about his name, is being useful. A slave, a thief, who came to Christ and when he came, he realized, I owe and I have the privilege now of being a prisoner, a slave to someone worth owing. Calvin Miller tells the story of a fable of a young girl um, whose mother was uh, severely disformed in her face. And as this girl got older, she was embarrassed to walk with her mother because the kids would make fun of the way she looked and, and just the distortions. And, and so she would do everything she could when she was out in public not to be seen by her mother. And as she got older and moved out of the house, when she got married and built her own life, she had nothing to do with her. Um, One day she discovered 
an old diary of her mother's. In that diary, she read how her mother had scooped her out of a fire within their home and had covered her up and ran out with her. And in covering up in that process, her face was burned. When she wet it, she, when she read it, she just wept. And she, she ran back to her mother's home and threw her arms around her. Because it changed everything. If you remember who you owe, it will change everything. Because in remembering who you owe, it will lead you right straight back to God. And how gracious he is in meeting your needs through others as well as himself. Let's pray.